1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. From 2400 Sports, Odyssey, and Major League Baseball, this is the PBP Voices of Baseball. We bring you the people who bring you the game.
2: Hey, what was the first thing you ever wanted to be? For me, it was a Major League Baseball play-by-play broadcaster. This is Matt Spiegel. I'm a sports radio talk show host at The Score in Chicago, a longtime baseball writer as well. And after four years in college in Boston, which meant 20 games at Fenway every season, I've now been in Chicago for 30 years, watching and then covering both the White Sox and the Cubs. And finally today... I am a big league play-by-play guy. Yeah. All right, barely. As I record this, I have broadcast 12 innings of regular season MLB play-by-play, stretched out over 12 Cubs games over the last three years. See, I got the chance to fill in doing pregame and post-game, and then I got the chance to do the fifth inning of play-by-play. So I was excited. I was terrified. And I sought advice. And got it from people like Len Casper, then the TV voice of the Cubs. Jason Benetti, the TV voice of the White Sox. Uh, the legend himself, Pat Hughes, who goes into the Hall of Fame this year from the Cubs radio team. Uh, from Boog Shambi, who was doing ESPN Sunday nights at the time and is now the Cubs TV guy. And from the man you're going to hear in a moment as the feature interview of episode one, Joe Buck. This is episode one of the PBP Voices of Baseball I am both a fascinated student of the craft and an extremely part-time practitioner. So come explore this world right along with me. After this great conversation with Joe, I'll be back to tell you some of the things we're going to do in the first season here of the PBP and to tell you who next week's guest will be. So I was just shooting the breeze with Joe Buck, who has become a friend, a genuinely really good dude, people. And then we started recording him and I thanked him for some great advice that he'd given me as I got those 12 innings, one each in 12 separate games over 3 years. What an odd bizarre way into this field.
3: I think it's a great way to do it. I I you know I think one of the mistakes that young people make is that they go I want to be a play-by-play guy and that's all they do. I think you coming at it from somebody who was a radio veteran and somebody who's musical and has abilities other than just calling balls and strikes. You bring something different. I think that's good. I, you know, when when kids tell me or ask me all the time, you know, I want to I want to do what you do. What? How do I go about it? First of all, I say get a famous father, uh, <laughs> and that's a great place to start. And then secondly, <laughs> don't just do that. I mean, it's it's such a big thing now in college. To you know, when I went to college, which was in the late '80s this wasn't a thing like nobody was doing telecom didn't really have much to do with doing play by play or any of that but now even at my alma mater at Indiana they have a they have a studio and they have a a major that is in sports broadcast journalism I we didn't have that there and so I was an English major and and I read works you know throughout uh, history. And and I think I rounded out and I can't remember any of it, but I, I think it all went into the soup that is me. And, you know, so many of these kids are just like, that's what I want to do. And, and, and that's where they put all their eggs. And, and so I, I, I always thought it was a good thing that you came at it later in life.
2: Well, we, you, you just landed on maybe the biggest inspiration for like <clears throat> how I, I've come to think about the craft of, of what, of what uh, a play-by-play is from conversations that I've had with you and with our mutual friend, Len Casper, because, because to be great at it, you have to be a great technician and a great entertainer, right? And people come at it from different angles. Um, And absolutely like the books you've read, the music you love, all those things, it is part of the soup and people hear that in baseball because there's time to hear that. And that's what makes it magical. Like where did you start on that scale of technician, an entertainer when you were getting your shots to do Cardinals games. Yeah. Game you team.
3: know, I I came at it from such a different place only because I, I joke all the time about nepotism and all that, but, but it's a real thing. It's not like my dad was running the Cardinals in the broadcast and said, I'm hiring my son today, but I was around it my entire life. So when I, you know, I, I was lucky in that I came into my dad's life When he had ascended, Harry Carey had left St. Louis. He had ascended to the number one chair, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And his career was about to take off. And he had had six kids previously with another wife. And I I don't know that he was as hands-on with them as he was with me. He wanted me around. So I was on the Cardinal Charter when I was seven. I was in the hotel watching players interact with other players and Doing the after the game stuff, and I was in the clubhouse, and I was in the outfield shagging fly balls and playing catch. I was just immersed in all of that, so I, I think I tapped into a lot of that. And I was so lucky to have all of that. I didn't realize it so much at the time, but um, you did know, did you sit
2: I, with a did you sit with a scorecard next to him as he was using a scorecard? Did he ever have to teach you to keep score? Did you watch it and pick it up?
3: It's funny. I, I've never thought of how I learned to keep score, but I kept score the same way he did. I keeping score, as you know, and there have been many specials on it, uh, is a very personal thing. It it it. There's no right way to do it. It's just a way that makes you remember what happened. So I I mean I keep score. And, you know, like a ba- a single for me is a line straight down with a line across, like a cross almost. And a double is two lines and a triple is three lines. And a home run is a square with a X in it. And I'd, I never kept balls and strikes. I didn't go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> I could kind of remember, you know, if somebody was set up and hit an 0-2 pitch for a home run or whatever. But, uh, you know, it, it walking, you know, I have one of these ridiculous uh, – i don't know if this is well i don't know it's a multicolored bic pen like the old school things that we had when we were back in
1: school dude
2: i have them now i use them now and it inspired a question that i'm going to ask everybody on this podcast um the one item that you absolutely have to have which could be a good luck charm or it could be you know a talisman or it could be some specific item that you absolutely need the four color bic pen when I was lucky enough to sit above you and AJ Przinsky a couple years ago at Wrigley and watch you guys doing a game, which was just so fascinating and instructive, the four color pen, I was like, "Oh my god, that makes all the sense in the world." So it's
3: a great tool. I I don't know why it's not as uh, I don't know why it's not more used than it is because to me, like I use it all over my football boards too. It, to me, when my when my eyes see something red. That's important. When my eyes see something blue, um, it's kind of more of the straight line information and the basics. And then when my eyes see something green, it's kind of coming off the side. I don't I don't use the black ink. That's the one I don't go to unless the blue runs out. Then black becomes blue, (laughs) blue becomes black. But but the green is kind of more the coloring. But that's how I did it for baseball. Red was strikeout, green was walk, blue yeah. was just the garden variety single, double, triple, whatever. The lineup, uh, and and yeah, it's just a quick. There it is. It's just a quick way to look down and just gather in. You know, the so and so has eight strikeouts through and two walks through five innings. It's easy to look down and see it. I, and and it, I think it apply. It should apply to anything anybody does in life. It's not just play by play.
2: Hmm that's yeah you know you mentioned is it football that that's the game with the board that's in the back of some bars where like people you know you're flipping your guys yeah with the little right yeah yeah that's
3: that's 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 foosball got it i do football football as opposed to foosball
2: i i will one day be familiar i think it's pretty funny that like Episode one of the PBP is starting with a guy who just left baseball. You know what I mean? I think it's. Yeah. I, I, I kind of. I like that World Series from '96 to 2021, left at the pinnacle, Joe Buck. I mean, it's that's some epic stuff. That's Elway. That's Elway walking off after after two. Super yeah, but Bowl nobody
3: wins. cares. It's like I, I did my thing. We care Life. here.
2: We care here. That's and why. That's what this is about.
3: No, they really don't. And you, you realize, you think, you know, when you leave, oh my God, the whole sport's going to crumble, and nobody's ever going to watch. And it's like, yeah,
2: no, it just goes
3: on. Nobody cares.
2: Yeah, they're okay. Do do you you think you'll ever do baseball again? Do you want? Yeah,
3: I think I will. Um, I've never said that before, but I, I just feel like it's. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers uh, at this point in my life. So I, I, I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Uh, but it's not going to be – it would be local. You know, if if doing a handful of games in St. Louis, doing a handful of games if we move to Denver, doing a handful of games in Minnesota, you know, who knows. But I, it's not going to be, hey, welcome to the World Series. This is my 25th. I'm done with that. I, I that's That's enough.
2: Well, it, it's kind of beautiful to think about it like that way, like in your dotage, having another go at the local companion lifestyle that is, you know, the, the the play-by-play guy. I mean, you did Cardinals games all the way up and through 2008, and I know like the workload dwindled as the national workload got bigger, but right. you, you must have had a bunch of seasons where you were doing 140, 150 games like where you were the dude.
3: And it's a totally different job i think i mean i it's it's in many ways more fun um you know the the national stuff is more prestigious and it's bigger and it comes with more money and it comes with more pressure but the local guy is there representing the fan you know you're there like i I just remember my dad's thing was always two on and nobody out we need a triple play you know (laughs) you don't say that when you're doing the. We, it, we is never, we means John Smoltz and me. We means those of us at Fox that there is no, we in yeah. national broadcasting. That's the, that's the hard part because everybody in Chicago is like, first of all, I'm from St. Louis. <laughs> Secondly, it's like, oh, well, why do you just get excited? Why, uh, you know, whoever, yeah. uh, somebody from Cleveland. I can't remember anybody who played for Cleveland back in the day. Oh, um, I remember
2: the moment, the moment where, where I, you was somebody. I, you would, moment where you and I dialed in on this, I think was when Dodgers fans thought you wanted to marry Schwarber or something. And yeah. like, Cubs fans thought you wanted to marry Kershaw. No, that's it. And Royals fans
3: fans thought that I wanted to marry Madison Bumgarner. And because one fan base doesn't want to hear how great somebody from the other side is. Yes. So Schwarber, to me, basically not playing all year and then showing up and having this unbelievable presence in a lineup in a World Series. That's a big deal. That's hard to do. Yes. And and Baumgartner back in the day threw fifty plus innings in the postseason and yeah. on like one minute's rest, uh, worked. I don't know how many innings did he pitch? Five, six innings in Game Seven of a World right. Series on the road and won the thing. I mean, right. it,
2: I, I, I want to go back to two thousand one and listen to you talking about Randy Johnson and Schilling. You know, it's like you think about you're celebrating greatness. So yeah. I, I, I get it. That's I think more, your
3: job. I yeah. mean, it, if you're, if there's ever a, we, it's like, man, we should really appreciate how good this player is playing at the most important time. That's yeah. as fans of the game, not, I I've spent my whole life going to bed in Cubs pajamas. I it's, <laughs> you know, it's all us, none of them, but that's how, but so then when you do the local stuff,
2: Yeah. You,
3: I was doing the Cardinals forever. Cardinal fans didn't care about the Mets' bullpen woes or, you know, who's the hot prospect coming up for, mm-hmm. you know, the Pirates or what. They just want to hear about their team. And, yeah. and, and in some ways, that's kind of hurt Major League Baseball's universal appeal because to me, they are, they are in a spot where, like, the Super Bowl, they had a hundred and, 10 million people plus watch that thing. Hmm. Uh, But that was not all Kansas city and Philadelphia fans, right? These days, I feel like when your team is out, if you're a diehard baseball fan, yeah, you're probably going to check out some of the world series. But if you're a, if you're a kind of fan, if you're a fringe fan, I don't know that the Rays fans are totally invested in game one of the world series between the, astros and the braves i mean it's it's like this is my village and i'm all in on this but when that village is gone i'm i'm doing other stuff so that that they have to fight to get more universal again which is how i grew up you just mm-hmm. the world series it's on i'm watching i don't really care who's in it. if my team's in it. great whatever this is not has any this has nothing to do with play by play
2: but it's um you know, it, it's funny. I want to tap into local broadcaster Joe Buck because I think the bulk of who I'm going to talk to is going to be those local guys. You know what I got to feel just a little bit? I think when I did a spring training game and Tom Hamilton came over from the Indians booth, excuse me, the Guardians booth. And he's like, Matt, how are you? Tom Hamilton. And it's <laughs> really he said, good. That's a he good said, Tom Hamilton. Uh, tell me about your team. Tell me about your ball club. And I've now had this with a bunch of different local broadcasters. Just for a moment, they don't realize that I'm just some jamo who's getting a shot. But this is what you do at the beginning of a series: you check in with the booth next door, and you're like, "All right, tell me about the team." And so there I am, running down the entire Cubs roster. Well, this guy is that. This guy is that. Like those kind of social interactions. I know we can all do game prep, looking at looking stuff up. But you, that, that's a, what a vital part of game prep. And I think young broadcasters should realize. Talk to people, have conversations with people. This is how you learn the real stuff.
3: No, I agree. It's it's the other broadcaster from the other side. It's I, And I don't know how it is anymore really post-pandemic. I hope to God it's gone back to the way it was, and I assume it has. I think it has for the most part. But the batting cage time, oh, when yeah. guys are hitting and, and you get a chance to mill around. Now, there are some stadiums like – St. Louis, they didn't care. You could you could stand up and basically lean on the batting cage and if you got your face close enough to it, you could take a foul ball off your face it, with the net in between the ball and your face. Chicago, I feel like they kind of protect LA, they protect a little bit of that mm-hmm. ring around the batting cage. But back in the day when I was doing it, that's when you got the best information. You could talk to the hitting coach of the other team. You could introduce yourself to the kid that's coming up you could you know lay eyes on in in the cardinals case jordan walker who's six 220 and 20 years old and it's like yeah. good god the b- b- baseball players don't look like that like aaron judge standing next to him yeah and you can bring that on to the broadcast like i i had a chance to visit with aaron judge before the game he's six <laughs> seven i mean it's i looked up at him the entire time and he couldn't be a nicer guy and yeah Here's a two-two. It just color. It's coloring the broadcast and bringing personal knowledge in instead of just what you read on the Internet.
2: Let me give you one from the cage when I was a kid at Emerson in Boston. I got my first press pass and I was able to go stand behind the cage and it was the Tigers. So it's like Mickey Tettleton and Rob Deere and Jack Clark was on the Red Sox at the time. And I, I, Tom Bernanski, these yeah. just beasts, these beasts of men. Um, and we're, we're taking BP and just the ball was flying. And I, I asked Jack Clark nervously, like, could I, could I talk to you for a minute? And so I'm like standing there and I'm like, uh, so yeah, that's pretty neat. Huh? Like you guys standing around and like hitting home runs <laughs> and stuff. And, here, and Clark looks at me and he goes, are we going to do this interview or what? <laughs> oh, my God that's great i so deserved it i was you know i was completely bemused um
3: that but that's i don't know i mean i grew up i have had plenty of uh interesting interactions around the batting cage and i had one with ken griffey jr that and it does kind of relate to the local stuff but he's taking batting practice and you know after every round he's kind of get out and and look at me and glare at me and i could just feel that he was dying to say something to me and then Next round, he got out, and he went up to my broadcast partner, Mike Shannon, who he knew, and he was kind of looking at me, and and I basically, by the end of his round of his time in the batting cage, went up to him and was like, "Hi, Ken, I'm Joe Buck." And he he goes, and I had done like the World Series a couple times. This is whenever he had just been with since made the move over to back to Cincinnati, his hometown, and he said, uh, I, "I got something I want to say to you." I was like, okay. I, I said, clearly, I keep watching you look at me with this side-eye glare, and uh, he goes, my wife, she can't stand the Reds announcer, so she listens to the other team's games, their broadcasts when we're playing on the road, and uh, she was listening to you, and you said last night that it looks like I don't ever smile anymore, and, and that the best thing about Ken Griffey Jr., back in the day was the ear to ear grin and the hat backward and a guy who looked like he was having the time of his life. And, uh, and you said, I don't, I don't smile anymore. And I, before I could answer, he goes, well, well, let me tell you why. I, if you get traded back to, to your hometown and everybody expects this and every I've had death threats and I've had blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, okay. Isn't that kind of what I said that you don't, so you don't look like you're having fun mm. anymore. And he goes tonight, I'm going to give you the biggest shit eating grin you've ever seen in your life. I was like, all right. And, and, and by the end we were talking and he was great. And so I go up to the booth, he's hitting third now batting center fielder, Ken Griffey, Jr. He leaves the on deck circle. I swear to God takes two steps, stops, looks up to me who he just met in the Cardinals TV broadcast booth gives this ridiculous, ridiculous smile up to me and then walks in and goes for his first at bat i was like that was the most odd great thing that i've ever experienced
2: oh that's so good that's so good there's so much there right like yeah the human level of just kind of being sensitive as we all are on on, about whatever it is
3: everybody's sensitive
2: yes And, and 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 also just like the um the fact that that sometimes people forget these 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 are dudes with gravitas and confidence, you know. And as a broadcaster, as you're walking around and navigating that, people might think of you as the big deal, but you got to deal with that. I remember the first time I was in the White Sox clubhouse, and Ozzie Guillen was looking at me. I thought he was going to destroy me with his eyes. That is a confident and strong human, and you got to be the cock of the walk. To to be successful in the game yeah sometimes.
3: no it's it it can intimidate and and I think the more you kind of stand up to that and it's not combative it's just like okay I see you yeah. but I'm still going to ask my hard question good and it's still going to be a fair question and it's still like I remember my first year that uh, Tony La Russa came to the Cardinals. In 96, I was just telling this story to Todd Stottlemyre. I happened to be on a flight with him three days ago from Arizona here to St. Louis. So we were talking about uh, 1996 and game one, you know, we'd been through all the spring training. But I I had heard that by the time Tony left Oakland, he was doing his daily pregame radio show by himself. Like he didn't want the play by play guy, whoever that I don't know who that was to ask him questions so they would leave the recorder in his office and he'd sit down grab the mic turn it on and go well you know yesterday we la, 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 la. and and he would do a minute and a half of a soliloquy and not field any questions so i walk into his office and he That's couldn't have amazing. been nicer to me and you and i've talked about him a hundred times but i said uh hey tony's like hey uh you know and then he, i made the mistake of going hey tony how you doing I'll tell you 10 o'clock, you know, it's everything is it like everything was about the game. But I, I walk in and I said, I know we're supposed to do this radio show, this daily radio show. Do you want me to ask you questions or do you just want me to hand you the recorder and then I'll just take it back up to the booth and that's we'll respect. Play. You did the yeah. research. I, said, I, I don't know. We've never talked about this. I don't know. And he goes, uh, why don't we, why, why, why I'll, I'll let you ask me questions today. We'll see how that goes. And then tomorrow is a new chapter. <laughs> like, I was on a, I was on an audition for for game one. I was like, "Hey, Tony. Well, uh, spring training's behind us, and now here we are at Shea Stadium playing oh, the Mets." And uh, I passed the test. I got to ask him questions the rest of the year. So, but but that's the thing. You need to kind of go okay. Here we go. And right. Take a deep breath and and know that you're prepared and uh, and and have some fun, man. I feel like fun is is a four letter word and something you're not supposed to have anymore on the air. And, and I don't know if that's the, you know, the social media end of it, but it's like any time you try to have fun, if you mm-hmm. want to go to the social media, you know, there'll be plenty of people there to try to smack you back into the middle lane and back into Boringville, but you just kind of have to put up with
2: that. <laughs> uh, you, you passed the one-day contract uh, with yes, Marissa. I, I love that. Um, all right, a, a couple, a couple uh, broadcast things that I'm going to ask most people on here, um, but most people are not Joe Buck, so I just kind of like uh, getting the stories too. Um, what is a specific part of your game prep that you have to do? It's something you absolutely have to do for a, for a ball game, and if you don't, you feel like you're not wearing pants.
3: Well, for me, it was always, uh, you know, again, if we're talking about the day to day, if yes. I'm doing the Cardinals day to day, you still have to you still have to do your reading. You still have to get up whenever the game is, day game, whatever it is, and read everything you can get your hands on because you're gonna get something. Something's gonna seep in, a nugget. Um, you're, you're going to find out something about somebody that you wouldn't have otherwise known. And I feel like if, if I haven't done that reading, I, I'm not ready to walk in there and do the game. I, mm-hmm. I, that to me is more important than even the batting cage stuff. That's, that's kind of the, yep. that's the meat and potatoes, the batting cage stuff. And the, the booth stuff with the other play by play guy is, is, is the icing on the cake.
0: This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance.
4: London. for more go to odyssey.com slash taylor tay in the uk it's on the odyssey app thanks to republic records this is a national contest
2: the perch is special what what is something that you can see in a ball game from that spot especially when you you've gotten used to that spot that fans would really appreciate if if they if they were able to see the game the way you have from that spot above
3: Well, I think I learned that best during the pandemic and being reliant as we did games remotely on just, even though it's high-definition TV, but just the camera angles. I mean, it is the best seat in the house. And the width and the depth and everything that goes into sitting behind home plate at the proper height, being able to see each dugout, being able to see each bullpen – um, except for the case of Wrigley, I guess, where they're hidden, but you can still see who's in there because of monitors and cameras. I, it's just you have to be able to. I, it's funny. And I do football and I watch a lot of the monitor now. Baseball, I never watch the monitor, I just watch mm. the game. Um, I, I didn't call pitches off the monitor. I assume some play by play guys do if they want to see, you know, Curveball difference between a curveball, slider, split finger, fastball. You know, I I basically said breaking ball, fastball, or changeup, and mm. I gauged the changeup and fastball off not just my eye, but kind of the hitter if he was late on it or if he was ahead of yeah. it. But but I I just it's the, my answer is not a great answer, but it's just a whole thing.
2: No, I, it, 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 well, you felt it enough to feel the pervasiveness. I'm reminded though of a great bit of a bit of advice you gave me, which is just how much the star has to be the pitch, you know, mm-hmm. so many different ways where you can say, here's the pitch or the one, two, or, that's the
3: thing. I think most people don't realize because you get caught up your mind's racing. It's like, but if you're at home listening to this, you want to be prepared as the pitch is coming in. And and I I told you at the time that I worked for a guy at Fox, my boss, David Hill, who's Australian, who grew up with cricket and rugby and and just applied what he knew to NFL and then Major League Baseball. And his only advice was to the broadcaster, meaning the play-by-play guy and the color person and the director. The only crisis in baseball is the next pitch. Hmm. If you don't respect that, the the listener, I would say that as, as opposed to the viewer, but it still applies in, in TV. The listener has no idea when the pitch is coming, and there's no point of reference. You have to, okay, here's the 2-2 pitch. Okay. Okay. Whatever's happening, and now the 2-1. So the the listener is set up for the action, up and away, ball three, or you know now it's the crack of the bat. You know you're it's the timing of everything. It's like here's the two one pitch. Okay, something's about to happen.
2: Yeah, and, the game is it's, the star, right? Yeah, the, the game, game is it's the,
3: star. the star, and it gets lost sometimes. I I hear that because everybody's trying to impress, and it, it's like just let the game impress and and you you are there to document that
2: man uh, that's that's phenomenal advice um is there uh i, I want to ask the best piece of advice you ever got but i want to ask it in two parts one would be mechanically something about doing the gig so let's start there it, it, and your, your dad or anybody gave you a piece of advice about doing baseball play-by-play that has stuck with you although the david hill's pretty good
3: i i think mechanically when I was a kid doing games into a tape recorder and then popping that tape out and listening to it with my dad on the way home night after night, after night, it was never his notes to me. If you want to call it that Were never here's how I would have called that. It was your diction. Like Hmm. it, it was, it was about, you know, not slurring your words, not getting too fast. You know, you have to, It's not a catcher. It's a catcher. It's, you know, just little things like that. And then finding out if you're describing things the same way over and over and over. Not every ground ball to shortstop is a bouncer to short. Bouncer to second base. Second baseman picks it up and throws it out. Bouncer over to third. You know, it's like. It's a slow roller, it's a high chop, it's whatever it is. There are different ways to describe the same type thing. So don't fall into this verbal trap of saying things over and over and over. Change it up. I mean, variety is the spice of life and it's the spice on a broadcast that I think will drive listeners crazy. And, and the only way you can find out that you're doing that is to swallow your pride and go back and listen to your own stuff, mm. and it, it's hard to do sometimes. But you have to self scout, and and I think that it was more that than than anything. Like I, I and and you know baseball is so beautiful and unique that if I'm hiring, when people send me their tapes or their links or whatever you want to call it these days, it's like don't give me just home run call, home run call, home run call, or triple home run, double play. Like, I want to hear what happens in between. I, I, I'm i hiring on how are you carrying the action or in baseball's case, the non-action yeah. to get to the action. Like, that's that's what I'm hiring. Not yeah. swinging a high fly ball to left field and it's gone. Like, everybody can do that.
2: Yeah, you know, it's, it's
3: how do you get there? that, that is more interesting to me. If I'm hiring,
2: I want to, there, there's a whole book and anything you remember from your dad on those drives. I mean, that's, that, that's amazing. Such, such beautiful stuff to me. Um, but
3: then the other side of it is yes, not just not the, the mechanical part,
2: right? It, it, that, that's the other piece of, uh, thanks for bringing me back to my two-part question, which I never finished It's such a pro, uh, is Joe Buck. So best piece of advice, um, you ever got, in terms of your overall career just kind of like thinking about the arc of a career and and how to how to go about it
3: i i think the game's pretty easy from where we sit and to all my dad harped on me you know when i was going to triple a my first year in 1989 he's like look you've watched big league baseball your entire life these are not big leaguers not all of them some will be someday unless you feel like you could make that play 10 times out of 10 yourself realize how hard it is and these guys are down there trying it's not not you know not looking the other way if somebody's basically walking to first base and not hustling or not running unless they're injured but it's a hard game and the same applies to umpires too like getting on umpires gets tiring after a while to yeah. the to the listener or to the viewer or fan i I mean, and then, you know, just treat people the right way. I I, I think the best thing I, I got from being my dad's son was almost feeling apologetic everywhere I went because I knew I'd been in the minor leagues for two years. You know, the lifers in the minor leagues that are like waiting to get a shot. And here I am, Jack Buck's kid, basically doing two years and then I'm gone and I'm up doing the Cardinals for, you know, at 21, uh, you know, be nice. Be nice, and and I think I had so much guilt from all that. I was almost overly nice, like talking to everybody I could and making sure they knew I wasn't some hmm. asshole that you know was somebody's kid that was taking up a spot that could have otherwise gone to somebody that'd been in the minor leagues for five, six, seven, 12 years. So uh, just you know, if you get hit the the proverbial if you get hit by a bus going in to the stadium, they're still going to play the game. Yeah. and they're going to find somebody else to call it. They're not going to call the game off. So you better, you better act accordingly.
2: Being nice is a, is a life hack though. I, I thoroughly yeah. believe because like those people are going to come back and be your boss or your colleague or have to hold a door open There's for no you doubt. at some point. It's just kind of how the it world comes works.
3: back around and but, it doesn't matter. I, I would tell anybody, you know, and the minute you think you got the world, you know, licked, it, it just, you're going to get smacked and, (laughs) and it's, it it happens every time.
2: Yep. Tell me a moment that you loved in the baseball broadcast booth that we should go pull and listen to. I know that's big and it's vague and there's a million.
3: Uh, I would say one from my dad and one from me, but the one from my dad is my dad calling the last out of a Bob Gibson, no hitter and listening to my dad's voice crack because he loved Bob but he loved what he did, and he was so emotional at the beauty of a no-hitter. Gibson is one strike away from
0: the no-hitter. He takes off his cap. He mops his brow. He looks in and gets the sign. He starts to wind up. Here's the pitch, and it's a strike called! A no-hitter for Gibson! Simmons
2: roars to the mound! He's racing Gibson, who's in golf, to as the Cardinals win the game, eleven to Twenty-five players pound Bob Gibson for a tremendous effort here
3: tonight.
2: A call, third strike. Joe Willie Stargell ended it, and Gibson, who has done everything else in the book except a no hitter, got it here tonight.
3: And how? And he's—it's a strike call, and he's his voice is cracking. A no-hitter for Gibson. And I I maybe I'm just because I'm his son. I can tell that he was a very emotional guy that I can tell he's choking back tears. And that just points out how great this job can be and how fulfilling and wonderful and there are moments. And in in it leads me to the ninety-nine All-Star game with Ted Williams coming in from the opening in the outfield at Fenway park and him saluting the fans, you know, not long before he passed away and just the, the mutual respect. And, and Ted was always really surly with writers and, and even the fans, but it was like, Hey, this is my last time and him taking his cap off. And I only say that because I didn't say anything and we're back from break. This is happening. And my producer, Mike Weissman, is saying in my ear, we're back, we're back, go, we're back. And I'm like, I, I'm not saying anything over any of this. I'm not, I am not going to do it.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the greatest hitter that ever lived, number nine, Hall of
3: Famer, baseball legend, Ted Williams. And it leads me to tell anybody getting into this, don't be afraid to not talk don't be afraid that if you don't talk the audience is thinking oh well that person doesn't know what they're what they're doing that person doesn't know what to say that's not the case it's okay to not talk and and either gather your thoughts or let the crowd noise carry it a big game at Wrigley Field a big game at Fenway a big game at Yankee a big game at Bush Stadium it the crowd is your friend, and you can use that as a great tool. So, if you don't talk, you're not saying to the audience, oh, "This guy stinks," or "This this young lady has no idea what to say." It's okay to not talk, and and I think that's that's the best advice I can give. The more you talk, the more you can screw up. Uh, the more you talk, the more you're going to turn people off. Sometimes. Just let the crowd carry it, and and that's okay. The legends of this game, today's stars, crowding around one of the greatest to ever play the game of baseball and one of the greatest to ever serve his country. We try as hard as we can and hope that this moment translates on television the feelings that we're getting here at Fenway Park at this 70th Midsummer Classic.
2: It's, um, it's beautiful stuff. I... I got to tell you, you know, as obviously um, the bond with with you and your pops and the game is so obvious, in, in everything that you do and the way that you talk about it and feel it, I think one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard a broadcaster do is you connecting, you and your pops and Kirby Puckett and David Freeze, with, and we'll see you tomorrow night. And I don't, and I know you've told the story before, but the fact that that was like. Just in your back pocket. And did did producers know it was coming? Did no, I didn't did know Carver know it was coming? I, we somebody
3: had mentioned it to me before that game. It was a game six, and it was like, hey, you know, 20 years ago, almost to the day, Kirby Puckett hit that home run. So, Into deep left center from Mitchell, and we'll see you tomorrow. Night. And so my mind is going to my dad making that call in minnesota which was a tough call because that the top of the wall is plexiglass at the old (laughs) metrodome and it's like did that go out or not and they got homer hankies and everything else and it's a white ball and then you know it was hit by a st louis kid david freeze it forced a game seven and it was just an unbelievable game because the cardinals were down to their last strike twice prior to that just to get to that moment,
2: but nobody knew it. Ending. It was it was in your back pocket, or you had, you, had you, was It was rolling around. No, behind?
3: I mean it had rolled around there before. I used it the year that he died in two thousand two in Game Six at the end of Game Six between the Angels and the Giants as a tip of the cap to my dad. And then it happened in two thousand eleven, and it was like, okay, I'm as I've told you, I'm not doing the Jack Buck cover band stuff, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna retire any of that stuff now because it just was. was the right time to do it some people hated me doing it but i it was like i i i tried to do it too that was at the end of the year i had a paralyzed vocal cord i tried to do it with the same cadence that my dad did it because i had heard that call so many times it was a direct it wasn't like here's a fly ball to center field we'll see you tomorrow night (laughs) it was freeze hits it in the air to center So I wanted to not only say the same words,
2: but I wanted to do it the way he did it. And we'll see you tomorrow night. Yeah, you were, it's not a Jack Buck cover band. It's a Jack Buck tribute band. There it is. Point, you yes. know?
3: Like Dred Zeppelin for Led yeah.
2: Zeppelin. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, man, that, I just I just think it's, it, it's such a beautiful and elegant and understated moment. Because if you knew, you knew. And if you didn't, you didn't. It's just, it's... It's a, it's a hell of a thing. And um, that goes
3: back to what I just said before that, because it's like there's nothing to say after that. It, it's not – it could be anything. Home run, game seven coming up or whatever. But the crowd, I mean, the booth was shaking. There are times where in the right circumstance, the actual architecture of the stadium you're in is under duress because the booth will bounce or whatever. And it's like, man, this this is – what are you going to say over that? I uh, mean, they just enjoy it. So it's, it's okay to not talk
2: Um, Joe Buck. You're a gem. Um, I'm not going to tell the haters. I'm going to let them just, you know, continue to feel it. I think it does something for them is, uh, is my thing. Like they're just, and I I don't want to disrupt their lives. I hope you understand if they need to keep hating you, I think it's important.
3: No, I please, they got to have something to
2: do. That guy, people so cool. So kind at the pinnacle of his profession. It's Matt Spiegel back here with you solo. I told you this series, the PBP, is gonna explore all facets of baseball play by play. That's because obsessing about it over the last few years. I have realized the incredible range of narrative and psychological depth that there is to this job. There's artistic depth to the way each person does it. There's psychological depth to the focus the job demands. There is a balance of entertainment and technique that speaks to the core of creativity. There's generational connectivity through decades that can create a form of immortality. So... Look, there's a lot to discuss, and we're going to start exploring it with different people every week. Next week is the great Jason Benetti, one of the absolute best in the business right now. Uh, the White Sox TV guy, but also does work for Fox and has worked for Peacock in the past and more. He's an incredibly funny, entertaining human in any circumstance. I've worked a lot with him in the past, and I know you're going to enjoy our chemistry in that conversation next week. Future guests on the PBP? ho, ho. We got some really good ones lined up and more getting scheduled all season long. The plans to do like 12 to 15 or so here in season one, stretching through the dog days of August baseball. Lots of good options. My producer is Ryan Porth. Great job, Mr. Ryan, weaving in those play-by-play calls. Looking forward to what you do every week. My collaborator is James Vickery, a fine, fine writer and fun thinker. The theme music comes from the great Kurt Morrison of Tributasaurus. Please find the PBP Voices of Baseball on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. From 2400 Sports, Odyssey, and Major League Baseball. This is the PBP Voices of Baseball. I'll bring you the people who bring you the game.